of January and is ready to move on onward and upwards. Can we skip February as well? <laughs> Just skip to, when's the good weather, May? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. <laughs> but as I said, my name's Mike, if you don't know me. I'm one of the elders here. I'm married to the lovely Rana, who's singing up here on stage. And my goodness, like, there's sometimes you get up on stage and you're, like, ready to prepare and ready to go. And there's other times you're like, worship was just so dang good this morning. Like, unbelievable. And there's, there's something about this morning. Um, I have the privilege to kind of, I, I believe I'm, I'm finishing off. So we'll, we'll assume that I am finishing off the series unless John comes back from America and wants to go three more weeks of Catch the Fire series. But for all intents and purposes, um, I'm finishing up. If you've been following up with us uh, these last few weeks, we've had John Ash speak, I think, two sermons on Catching It. Um, if you're confused, it's a great opportunity for you to go back and watch the sermons because they're awesome. Um, we had lovely Richard come up, catch the joy, and then he kind of came in as a pinch hitter last week and did um, tilling the ground and, and the tough things and growing in. So, so thankful so, for so many gifted people in our church that get to come up here and speak. Um, I have a joke for you. Now, now. I've learned my lesson. Last time I came up here, I did two jokes. And the first joke was much better than I thought it would go. And the second joke fell dead. So we're going with one. So I'm, bat I'm batting at 100 here. And if my joke's really bad, then I might have to employ Jasmine to come and write some jokes for me. Because if you don't know, she writes jokes. So here's looking at you. Arthur was 75 years old. He played golf every day since he retired 15 years ago. One day, he arrived home looking downcast. That's it, he told his wife. I'm giving up golf. My eyesight has become so bad that once I hit the ball, I can't see where it went. His wife sympathized and made him a cup of tea. As they sat down, she said, why don't you take my brother with you and give it one more try? That's no good, sighed Arthur. Your brother is 85. He can't help. He may be 85, said the wife, but his eyesight is perfect. So the next day, Arthur headed off to the golf course with his brother-in-law. He teed up, took a mighty swing, and squinted down the fairway. He turned to the brother-in-law and asked, did you see the ball? Of course I did, answered the brother-in-law. I have perfect eyesight. Where did it go, Arthur asked. I don't remember. <laughs> and it continues. The sermon title this morning is called Catch the Vision. Now, before we get started, there's a few points of order. Because if you're sitting here and you've been in church for a while, especially in January, you're kind of going to yourself, seriously, another vision sermon. Get me a break. I have a few points of order. This is not your typical January sermon where it will inspire you to be a better you in 2022, though that may happen. It's not a sermon with a multiple step formula. You do this and this and this outcome will happen, although this may be the case for you. In fact, the sermon is not designed to give you more determination, more willpower, more anointing, or awaken the greatness in you, though that may happen. And this definitely is not a sermon giving you five steps to receive a vision from the Lord, though that may happen. And if you're confused, stick with me a bit. We were created to see. Now, this might not sound like a revelation to many of you. You know, Del Mike, yes, we were created to see. We have eyes. But I mean that our, our world was created in such a way that in order for us to interact in the world around us, we needed to see. If you look at Genesis 1, we always come back to Genesis, the creation of the world. It says, in the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. One person's awake. My wife. Love you, hon. The earth was without form and void and darkness, say darkness, was over the face of the deep. We got to wake you guys up now. And the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. We'll get back to this bit on, the, on darkness and waters in a bit. But God said, let there be light. And there is light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So God's plan, he creates the universe. We get this picture of this dark, dreary chaos, waters, the Holy Spirit's hovering over. Then all of a sudden, God declares, let there be light. And boom, there's light. Have you ever really thought, or maybe you're one of these people who paid attention in biology class, I certainly wasn't, but have you ever thought how your eye actually sees things? How we actually see I mean very physically, how do we see what's in front of us? Here's a very short, basic biology lesson. We don't have any doctors in the room, do we? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Or they're lying and just not telling me. Our, our, our eyes work in unison with our brains. And so the only way that we actually see what's in front of us is by light reflecting off of objects. So in a very crude way, I don't have diagrams, but I'm going to explain it. When we look and see an object, we actually see the light reflecting off the object. We don't actually see the object, as it were. We see light coming in. It comes through our eyes, and it, for many of you who know and pay attention, it flips the image upside down. But it actually takes these light particles, we'll call them, and these particles come into our eye, and they send out impulses that come to our optic nerve, big word, comes back to our brain, and it makes sense of what we see in front of us. So what I'm getting at here is if we didn't have light, it, we quite truthfully could not see anything in front of us. So that light is very important. All we see is light. The way objects appear, the way colors are, some people like myself are colorblind. All of these things happen because light is in the world, because God started the world with let there be light. He created us with this ability to focus on objects in front of us, to see the world around us, and he also created us with the ability to, to focus on things that are intangible, things that we don't just necessarily see. We, we call this many times vision. We have actual vision physically, but we also have vision to see the world around us and to also make plans of what we aspire to be, what we expect the world to be like, what we want to achieve for ourselves. But all of these happen because we've seen something prepared before us. It's funny because when you read, especially like prophetic books in the Bible, and we get all these really fun translations, you read through Revelation, and you know, the locusts are Apache helicopters. I grew up in church my whole life, so I've heard it all. Um, but this understanding that, that the authors, anyone, any prophetic vision, anything that is outside of what we understand in our reality, we try to make sense of it because of what we've seen in front of us. So at an early age, we were, taught, we were given the ability to see in both senses of the word, and we were given vision. And that's the way God set up the world. Now, a little, little story time for you. When I was very little, well, not even when I was very little, most of my life, I would go to my grandparents. Now, everyone has different names for their grandparents. Uh, my grandparents, are both sets of grandparents are still living. 
Um, but we called my grandparents G-Mom and G-Pop. Yeah. Some people have met G-Mom and G-Pop. You wonder why, you G-mom, why is G-Mom and G-Pop? Well, G-Mom and G-Pop live outside of Philadelphia. So G-Mom and G-Pop, they have a little bit of street cred. And we would go every, every couple, every, I would say every year, maybe twice a year, we'd show up at G-Mom and G-Pop's. Now, I loved G-Pop. I still love G-Pop. G-Pop taught me so many things in life. He was, he was the fun G-Pop. He took us out, shot our first pellet gun. Um, he taught us how to play with plastic swords. I've, I've, I've alluded to that in previous sermons. But my G-Pop was such, a, was such a big influence in my life and still is. And one, one story that I, I always remember fondly is he tried to teach me how to hit a wiffle ball. Now, does anyone know, besides my Americans, what a wiffle ball is? Some, some do. For those of you who don't know what a wiffle ball, think of something a little bit bigger than a baseball, but kind of like a, with a waffle-like texture to it and that there's air that comes through it. So it's not solid. Um, it, kind of, it kind of opens up. And the premise of it is when you hit a baseball, it goes really far. You could hurt, hit something, hurt yourself, break something. Whereas a wiffle ball, you hit it, it wouldn't go as far. But my grandfather was teaching me this. G-Pop was teaching me how to hit a ball. And I always remember standing out there on a nice summer afternoon with, with a bat, and he would go, now look, keep your eyes on the ball. That's all he would say. Keep your eyes on the ball. And then he would pitch it. And what would happen? Swing and a miss. You're not keeping your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on the ball. Swing, miss. And you would think that he would get angrier and angrier as I said. But actually, funny enough, my grandfather had this twinkle in his eye whenever I would miss. Because he would know you're not paying attention. You're not focusing. Keep your eyes on on the ball. And I remember the first time I hit a, a ball, I cracked it. I felt like I hit a home run. I probably hit it about five feet because I am terrible at baseball and all of those things. But a G-pop just celebrated with me in that moment. And it sounds like such a funny story. But as a child, that instilled something inside of me that if I keep my eyes focused on what is in front of me, I'll achieve it. And maybe you've heard this too. Maybe you've had a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, or somebody in your life that has taught you something like this. And we hear this all the time, that if you stick to your vision and you keep focused on the things ahead, that good things will come of it and that you will achieve what happens. Many of us have heard quotes similar to this. If you're working on something exciting that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. That was Steve Jobs. Vision without execution is hallucination. Thomas Edison. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Ooh, Helen Keller. And to many of us, if I were to tell you about someone that you look up to or someone that you aspire to be or maybe someone that you've seen with great success, we see this a lot of times in sports stars. They're people that if you come and you you find out more about them, they had something about them that was laser-focused. They did not move to the left or to the right. They kept focusing straight on what was happening in front of them. And this all sounds wonderful. This sounds already like an inspirational message. But the problem is, as many of us know as we've grown up, how difficult it is to stay focused and to keep our vision true to one thing. If you look, if you want evidence for this, just look around you. Most of you will pull out your phone or in your handbag or in your purse for those of us who have really, really large purses. 
And how often do we just switch on our phone and we scroll through things? It's amazing the technology we have today. You have Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest. And what is it? Two seconds. Flip the thumb up, flip the thumb up. Constantly looking around us. We live in an age where it's information overload and everything is pulling at our attention. Everything is pulling at our, at our vision. In this thing, I could check the scores. I could check what the transfer news is. Up the reds. <laughs> I could review the best coffee shops in Northern Ireland. I could go and find out any bit of news that I ever wanted. Here's a good one. At any given day, because at the rate it seems like it's changing every day, I could find out what the new regulations are for COVID. And our world is attached to these devices. I don't, I'm not trying to sound like a boomer here. <laughs> but we're attached to the world and the things around us. And whether it's the television, whether it's your phone, whether it's um, going out and trying to find out new information on the internet, um, whatever it is, we attach and grab and try to get everything that we can to get a focus. Did you know that it's estimated in the next seven years that this self-development industry, when I mean that the self-help industry, like all the self-help books, all that, that industry is going to go over 40 billion U.S. dollars globally. My generation is obsessed with trying to get better and bigger and faster and stronger and more under, understanding and all of these things. And we grab, 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 grab all of these different things and keep our focus shifting constantly. What's the next big thing? All you need to do is look at a, at a YouTube thing. They have algorithms now that tell you, obviously, what, what your search history is. I studied marketing. There's not a day that goes by that I can't scroll through my feed and I'll get something like this. NFTs, what are they? Bitcoin, top 10 ways to make a better you. 15 best side hustles to make bank. How to look good and feel better. Breathing exercises to relieve stress. Why do we do this? Because we grab at all the things that we see because we haven't clearly found out what our vision is, what we have set our heart and our mind to. And here's the problem too. This happens in church. Oh, new Bill Johnson book's coming out. Ten Ways to Find Revival. I need to read that. Chris Valadin came out with a new thing. Reigning in the kingdom. Got to read that. I'm not dogging any of this. This isn't me coming here and slapping you over what you read or what you watch in your internet time or your usage. I'm not, this is not a message to hang you over hell. I'm just asking, where is our focus? Because we switch all the time and we move left, right, and center all the time. Even now, my iPad just dies. And what am I going to do? Da, 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 da. But we're so focused on so many different things that come in our way. And this, guys, this is just when we live a normal life at this point. 
where I'm not even, don't get me started about when stuff goes bad. Because the moment that something gets unstable in our life, so what do we do? Oh, we got to grab the next thing. I got to find the next thing and I got to look at the next thing. Some of us, we use our Instagram feeds and our Facebook feeds, um, not necessarily to catch a vision of something, but simply to, to self-medicate ourselves so we don't have to think about what we're going to do. We don't have to think about where we're going because we're in a world that's crazy and it's always changing. And God knew this. The moment the fall happened, he knew that our vision was going to get blurred. He knew that our focus was going to be shifting. And it's interesting because he didn't give us then a 10-step sermon or blog for how to find our way back to him. He sent a person. Just a person. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. I want to give you a little bit of background information on this. Jesus is out with his disciples, his 12 posse gang who come and follow him around. Um, This is the middle of Matthew's gospel. So we've already seen Jesus do some incredible things. He has healed the blind. He's healed the leopard. He's raised a girl from the dead. He's gone and taught about all the kingdom elements, about his, the kingdom of the Lord. He did his big sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount. May, many of you may know it. And he's walked around with his disciples. He, he's even sent out his disciples two by two to go out and do the message that he's been doing. So he's with disciples, but they have kind of know the deal now. They've, they're kind of used to what's happening. They're used to what Jesus is doing, and they, they're starting to catch momentum. They're starting to understand what the rabbi has been teaching them. And then all of a sudden, we get to this place where a storm seems to brew. Jesus hears word that John the Baptist, his dear friend, and the one that many of you know, started this entire process of Jesus coming, was beheaded. And Jesus gets this news. And his initial reaction, his first reaction is to go off alone and to pray to the Father. There's a sermon you could even do on that. But what happens? Do you think he goes and finds solitude? No. In fact, he's meted with over 5,000 people who want more of him, who want what he has, what he has to carry, what he has to offer. They want healing. They want to see breakthrough in their lives. And Jesus, as the Bible says, had compassion on them. He saw them and decided, I am going to meet this need. And so he goes off. And the disciples are following him along, and they're hungry, and they're tired. And all of a sudden, one of the disciples comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, dinner time. We're starving. We don't have food for them. You have to send them on their way. And Jesus, you just think with cheeky grin, you feed them. And we know what happens. The, the, the 5,000 plus get fed, healed, delivered, set free, and sent home. And this is where we pick up in Matthew. We'll say Matthew 14 again. We'll, we're at chapter 14, verses 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. I'm going to pause right there. Jesus sends the people away. We don't know what time of the day it is. We can kind of speculate. But at this time, he takes the rest of the day, the rest of the daylight, and he goes up to the mountains to pray, and he tells the disciples, go, go ahead, you on. Go ahead on, on onto the lake. Some translations, you'll see the lake. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's a massive, massive, massive lake. Go on ahead. The disciples, it's funny, you don't hear the reaction. They just go, okay. But it'd be quite curious, wouldn't you think? Because they all came here on one boat. Jesus, how are you going to get there? I don't know, maybe he'll teleport. I can just imagine Peter and the, and the boys sitting there going like, I don't know, he'll, he'll do him, we're just going to go. I'm hungry, I want to eat my bread in the boat and let's, let's get out of here. And we find out that Jesus is at, at this point, the boat is way offshore and Jesus is still praying. And there's a storm that's brewing. Waves are crashing in. Did a little bit of study. Even in the 90s, they, they recorded waves that could get up to 10 feet in the Sea of Galilee. So can you imagine in a fishing boat with, with wind and rain and waves crashing in all around them? By the way, when you're in a boat, if you've ever been rowing or sailing, you have to fix your gaze straight on where you're going, where your destination is. You have compass, you have that thing, those things as well. But the disciples had to get over to the other side. So they had to focus, and all of a sudden, there is no more focus. <laughs> there is no more vision. All you see is wind, raves, waves, thunderstorms, lightning. We'll continue. When evening came, he was there alone. And the fourth watch of the night, he came up to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. The fourth watch, for many of you, who don't, for those of you who don't know, is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So stupid early in the morning, Jesus decides, I'll go catch up with them. And in some of the other Gospels, we see that Jesus' intention is actually to walk clear to the other side and just meet them there, which I can imagine as Jesus just must be the most fun thing ever. Just sitting there, hey guys, how's your trip? That was good. But he's walking out on the, on the water. I can imagine the, the disciples sitting there in that boat, terrified for their lives. I kind of alluded to it, to it before, but in Genesis, you remember the part where it says, before light came, there was darkness and there was waters over the depths? Yeah. The, the ancient Israelites, the ancient Hebrews, they were terrified of the sea, petrified, even fishermen. They were absolutely terrified. Why? Because it represented the monsters, Leviathan, unleash the Kraken. <laughs> Nobody? Okay. That's okay. I laugh at my own jokes all the time. You can tell, ask Rihanna. All of these terrifying things is what the water represented. It represented chaos, disorder. It was, it was absolutely terrifying. And even fishermen, even the wisest and the most veteran of fishermen, still would avoid it when, when necessary. They wouldn't go out at certain times. They would know and watch the times and the seasons when the, when the rain would fall or when the storms were coming. And in the Sea of Galilee, it wasn't uncommon for storms to just whip up quickly. Sounds a bit like here, to be honest with you. 
And all of a sudden, they see out in the distance this man walking towards them. And what do they do? It's a ghost! That's it. Absolutely. Like a little children. It's a ghost. Now, we could very easily sit there and go, oh, you know, but you don't know. Maybe, maybe the ancient Hebrew people, maybe they, they believed in ghosts. No, they didn't. <laughs> I love it. Could she, she come up here while we're preaching? <laughs> so we cry out, exactly, where is the ghost? <laughs> oh, man, the best. We laugh at it. But truthfully, people that had seen Jesus do incredible things immediately jumped to something that was illogical and made no sense. This is what happens when we encounter fear. All rational thought, everything goes out the window. It doesn't matter. When we're afraid, when crap hits the fan, what's going on? So it's not surprising when I look at this and I see them, them calling out, it's a ghost, I'm terrified. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Man, do you ever read sometimes, I, I do this, I read the Bible, and sometimes like, I just read what Jesus says. Just, just, a, just a little helpful advice. If you have no idea what to read in the Bible, open up, read the red letters. What is Jesus saying? Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. That's an inspirational, motivational quote if I've ever seen one. You fire that on your Facebook. But there's something even more important in play here. Jesus is not just saying, take heart, it is I. What he's actually saying in their language, I am. Has anyone heard that before? Remember Moses in the burning bush? I am. In that moment, Jesus takes the opportunity, steps into, our, steps into a life of confusion, of craziness, where there is no vision, and he is there walking on the waves, and he just goes, I am. I love this story. Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the wire, water. Jesus said, come. I think we just read the Bible sometimes and just like skim over it and just forget what is actually happening. They were terrified a moment ago. Jesus is walking on the waves. They see him and he goes, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. Don't be afraid. And Peter goes, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come out to you. It's interesting what happens. The moment that his gaze shifts and focuses on Jesus, he's not worried about the waves at that minute. He's not worried about what's going on. He's not even worried about the disciples in his own boat. He doesn't give a rip what they think. Jesus is there. I want to go there. What does Jesus say? Come. We could stop the message right there. Because this is what he calls to us all the time. And I see this in my life more often than not. I love Jesus. I try to follow. I'm, I'm, my life is devoted to, to sharing Jesus with people. 
And yet there are still times when waves come and they crash up and I literally need to look and shift my gaze and I see Jesus there walking on the waves and he says, come. What, is it, what are you going to do? And he says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walked on water to see Jesus. I've heard this sermon so many times, it'd make you sick. And it's so quick to jump very quickly to this point of, oh yeah, but he sinks, but Peter sinks, but he messes up. Yes, but he was the first disciple and probably the only disciple that we have recorded in history that walked on water. Because when Jesus said come, he had the guts to go and to just get up and walk. Didn't matter what was happening. Didn't matter what the waves were. Didn't matter what he was focused on before. It didn't matter what his Instagram feed was telling him. It didn't matter what the weather report was saying. It didn't matter what the politics were saying. It didn't matter what anything was going on in his phone. Jesus said, come, he went. Can I propose to you? I think Jesus is setting up storms in your life sometimes because he wants to see if you'll shift your gaze to him and he wants to teach you and show you what it's like to actually walk above it to walk on water. This isn't the first time, by the way, that Jesus calms a storm. That happens earlier in the chapter. So the disciples all know this. This is deeply intentional and deeply personal. Jesus says, come, Peter goes. But when he saw the wind, Peter was afraid. He began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And again, we can very easily rebuke Peter like Jesus did. But I'll tell you what, when, G when Peter first came out of the boat, he wasn't expecting anything. He just wanted to go to Jesus. Didn't really matter. And Peter still was the only one out of the disciples who went out of the boat. But when Peter goes out to the boat and he goes out and he sees Jesus and the waves come up and he shifts his gaze, what happens? He cries out and says, Jesus, help me. And it says immediately Jesus pulled him up. This isn't a hang you over hell sermon. This is a sermon about the grace of Jesus. We get an opportunity Every time, whether we're in our prayer life, whether we're reading our Bibles, whether we're thinking about how we're going to treat somebody, whether we're walking through life, we have an opportunity at any moment to go, you know what, Jesus, I want to shift my gaze to you, help me, and he will be there and he will help you. In some ways, it's the greatest honor because we live in a world right now where we get the opportunity to constantly redirect our focus onto Jesus. And if Jesus picks us up a thousand times, he'll pick us up one more. He'll pick us up one more. And I love the words of Jesus because it says Jesus looked at him. It says, you, oh, you of a little faith, why did you doubt? Do you know what I get? I get a picture of my G-pop looking at me going, keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes focused on me. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. <laughs> and those in the boat worshipped 
him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Can I get the worship team to come up? We see this interaction. And the interaction isn't over. Because Jesus pulls them out of the sea and they come into the boat. And it says immediately, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Almost, almost like it was set up intentionally in the first place. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm in some ways being brutally honest. I am tired of the season that we've been in with COVID, with all this unusual stuff, waves going everywhere and going anywhere. And I can very easily turn my focus to something else. In vain. The funny thing is sometimes we know it. We know looking at the, the Instagram feeds and know, looking at the other things and switching our focus actually doesn't help. We know that. But sometimes it's just easier. Could it be Jesus is keeping the storm going because he wants to teach you how to walk on water? Would God do that? He would. Because he loves you too much to leave you where you started. This is how I want to end this, this, us with this this morning. Because it can get heavy. The waves can get heavy. I want to invite people for a time to respond. Because at the end of the day, I can get up here and I can preach with fervor or with passion. I can amaze you with content. I can tell you all these funny, joyful stories. I can tell terrible jokes. But at the end of the day, if you don't get Jesus, I might as well pack up and go home. Because that's all it's about. One step process to life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter what, keep your eyes on Jesus. You're running a business, keep your eyes on Jesus. You're raising a family, keep your eyes on Jesus. You're a single parent, keep your eyes on Jesus. You've had horrific stuff happen to you, keep your eyes on Jesus. You're praying and contending for families, keep your eyes on Jesus. The greatest advice I could ever give. And God's one step redemption plan for a better you in 2022. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's worth it. Here's how I want to respond. The band's going to lead us in a song. And I want, if, if anyone's on a prayer, prayer, the prayer ministry team, just be ready. Um, this is how I want us to end this. Because when Jesus said, Call, come, it warranted a response. I'm not going to shout here and say everyone needs to come down and kneel and cry at the altar. Although if that's where Jesus is calling you to, get up off your seat and do it. But if there's a place in your heart and Jesus is here, his spirit is here, his presence is here this morning, and he's reaching to our hearts, and he's saying above the waves, keep your eyes on me and come. With anyone around you, will you come? That's his calling today.
Now I want to end with one last thing. Because funny enough, we end this story and, the, and we think the chapter is over. But the chapter continues. When they had crossed over, they came to a land, Gennesareth. Everyone say it with me, Gennesareth. They landed to the other side. And when the man of that, men of that place recognized him, they sent him around to all that region and brought him all who were sick and implore them that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many touched it were made well. We so easily read over names and just, okay, that's just a, a funny Hebrew name. And I was reading and I was studying this poor scripture, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit said, look at where Gennesaret is. So I looked, do you wanna know where Gennesaret is? Do you know, want, to, want to know why it's significant? On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesareth. This is Luke. And he saw two boats by the lake, but their fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, we know as Peter, he asked them to put out a little from the land, sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished, he said to Peter, put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And, and Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were also James, John, sons of Zebedee, and were partners with, with Peter. And Jesus said to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. There's a prophetic calling on this person. I think it's actually specifically for people in this room. Because you've been going through a season, you've been going through a storm, and Jesus is setting you up. He's setting you up to walk on water. He's setting you up to walk above it and to keep your eyes focused on it. But the end goal isn't just your journey with Jesus because he's taking you back to your home. And he's gonna walk with you as you see your family, your friends, your loved ones, the people that you contended for, see breakthrough. I'm talking more than salvations. I'm talking healing, I'm talking miracles. I believe with all my heart that this is what God's doing in our, in our community. He is calling us. If we, we will follow him, if we will go, if we will let him take us, if we will follow him and respond when he says come, he will take us to the estates, he will take us to the land where we first encountered him and there will be people that will be set free. just asking you to come. This is what I'm going to do. I just want to let Jesus do his thing. So I'm going to close this in prayer. The worship team is going to, going to lead us in a song. And I think it's so easy for us to jump and go, and go into our next phase. I've even left a little bit of extra time before our normal service is over. Because I think Jesus wants to do something this morning in our hearts and in our lives. 
So Jesus, we welcome you in this place. Lord, keep our eyes focused on you. Jesus, we wanna see you, I wanna see you. I wanna see you walking over the waters, over the craziness, over the chaos. We wanna see you. We want our eyes focused on you. Would you invite us to come, Jesus? I'll walk out on the water. Because I know that you focus your gaze on me first. You focused your eyes on me first. You saw me when no one else saw me. When I was a broken, rotten sinner. When I was a mess. You saw me and you saw the value. You saw who I was. So Jesus, in this moment, we ask, would you come? And may that be the cry of my life, no matter where I go, no matter where we stand, no matter what we find ourselves in, that when you say come, that we wouldn't even hesitate, that we would get up out of the boat in Jesus' name.